Good morning, my friends, and welcome to yet another installment from high above all other puerile and insipid forms of Wyoming mainstream media. This is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. We've got a number of third-party and independent candidates running in the general election, and this morning I'm going to introduce you to one of them. It's an interview that I've hung on to for quite some time. Frankly, because independent and third-party candidates don't have to go through the primary process. But since the general election is 20 days away, now's a good time for it. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, some completely outrageous self-aggrandizement. You can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps. iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, really any of them will work. But the easiest way is just to go to the website, cowboystatepolitics.com. There, you can find all of the shows, as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of a program. So if your name is Sleepy Joe Biden, and you can't remember what time breakfast is, I can't help you with that, but I can explain exactly why you shouldn't have run for president in the very beginning. Cowboy State Politics is brought to you by New Trend Hats. I don't know if you know this or not, but winter's coming and soon. And if you want to keep your ears and your head warm, well, then you should really check out NewTrendHats.com. They're a Wyoming-based company out of Kemmerer. They've got a wide selection of hats for both men and women. So go to their website, NewTrendHats.com, and make sure you get the top of your head nice and toasty warm. 307 Cowboy Fabrication is your source for Wyoming-manufactured livestock shelters. Give Bryce and Melody Reese a call at 307-441-1815. That's 307 Cowboy Fabrication. All right, so this year we've got a number of third-party and independent candidates running for the Wyoming State Legislature. In fact, there's more candidates running this year than we've seen in a very long time. If you'll notice, we haven't heard from any of them yet. Gee, I wonder why that is. Take, for example, Dan Brecht, who's running against Representative Jeremy Haroldson. You know, the guy that flip-flopped before he could flip-flop. And then there's Todd Peterson, who's running against the Republican nominee Scott Smith. That's the guy who's friends with Redcoat Shelley Duncan. There was an article in the paper that said the reason why he didn't file during the primary election is because, you know, he was really satisfied with the representation that he had at that point. Uh, Redcoat Shelley Duncan, or should I say, soon-to-be former Wyoming State Representative Redcoat Shelley Duncan. And who could forget Bruce Jones, one of the worst mayors that I've ever heard of, who is running against the Republican nominee Tommy Strzok in Converse County. And then you have Larry Williamson up in House 53. He has been given numerous invitations to come on Cowboy State Politics, and he has yet to respond to any of them. Hmm, radio silence. It kind of makes you wonder why, doesn't it? It's definitely not because this program doesn't have the reach all the way across the state of Wyoming. It is more likely that it does have the reach that it does. This program has been downloaded over 106,000 times. So you would think, if you were running for office, that you'd want to come on the program so that your voters could listen to what it is that you have to say. 
Unless, of course, you're trying to get elected just like somebody else we know. You know, hide in your basement and don't talk to voters and don't give interviews. Yeah, that's probably the most likely of reasons. In any case, there's a bunch of them that don't want to respond. The ridiculous part of this whole thing is the one question they're probably afraid of most of all should be the one that is easiest to answer for them. Why are you running as a candidate for this party? In the interview that I'm going to play for you in just a few minutes, I did ask that question and he answered. Before we get to it though, here's my whole take on this independent candidate business. If you're a lifelong Republican and you decide that you're not a Republican anymore and you're going to run as an independent because you don't like the voter's choice in the primary election, how could we possibly in any way believe that you will represent the values and wishes of your constituents? Because from the very beginning, you've shown us that you're willing to change your party affiliation just to win an election. I mean, come on. We're expected to take that seriously? In fact, that is the exact problem that created the political situation that we're in right now. Because Democrats have a really hard time getting elected in the state of Wyoming, they register as Republicans. And they come to us and they say things like, we don't like abortion, we love our guns, taxes are too high, and you should vote for us. And because we're a trusting bunch here in Wyoming, we fill in that little circle and we vote for them. Then they go to Cheyenne and they do exactly the opposite of what they told us they would do. It's worse than that, though. Then they come home and they get on the radio and they lie to us because, you know, they have to get reelected. And the only way to do that is to continue what they told us in the very beginning. You know, they're conservative while they spend with reckless abandon. They don't like abortion, yet they keep every single pro-life bill that they possibly can in the drawer. I'm talking about you, Albert Somers. They're for medical freedom and personal responsibility. And yet when they're down in Cheyenne, they say, you know, if your employer wants you to stick a needle in your arm and you say no, well, sorry, you can just go across the street. Isn't that what you said, Lloyd Larson? I could go on and on all day and give you example after example of what I'm talking about. But the whole point here is that we have to elect people who reflect our values and principles. And when people change parties, just to get out of a primary election and win. Well, we have to question what exactly it is that you're going to do in Cheyenne should we choose to elect you. And if you happen to be amongst the people that have refused an invite to come on this program, you know, the most listened to political podcast in the state of Wyoming, well then, maybe there's another clue that we shouldn't elect you. Now, one guy who didn't is Michael Williams, and he's running in Senate District 11. That seat is currently occupied by Senator Larry Hicks. To his credit, I didn't have to send Michael Williams an invite to come on the program. He reached out to me. And like I said, we did this interview way back during the primary election. And I held on to it because it's more pertinent now. So here's my discussion with Michael Williams. I'm joined tonight via Zoom by Michael Williams. Michael is running for the Wyoming State Senate in Senate District 11. Welcome to Cowboy State Politics, Michael. Thank you, David. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're welcome. First thing I always do is ask you to just to talk about yourself a little bit. Just let our listeners get to know you. So tell us who Michael Williams is. 
So my name is Michael Ray Williams, and on the ballot, I will be listed with my full name. Uh, I moved to Wyoming approximately four years ago. I came from the Pine Woods of East Texas and moved here to give myself and my family a better life. In regards to my family, I am married to a beautiful woman named Christy. We have two children, Madison and Brennan. They're 13 and 15. With Rollins, and I work for the state penitentiary here in Rollins. I've been there for almost the entire four years. I've been in public service my entire adult life. From the time I was 18, just before I turned 19, I became a volunteer firefighter. I was a volunteer firefighter for about 12 years. I worked in corrections in Texas. I did private security and private investigations in Texas. And I moved to Wyoming of all the other 48 states I could have chose from Texas because they were by far the most conservative. They had the most freedom in regards to guns. They're a very patriotic state. And I come from a very patriotic background. My Both of my grandfathers fought in World War II. My dad's a non-vet. My brother, who is... By far, my probably my biggest hero has been the United States Navy for 19 years. Uh, I never did serve in the military. Uh, I never was given that opportunity. But I bleed red, white, and blue through every vein in my body. And that's part of why I wanted to enter into politics is because I want to continue giving people freedom. Okay. I guess my first question is, uh, why run for the Senate right now? So, the biggest reason I chose the Senate was I follow Wyoming gun owners pretty closely. Uh, I'm not a member of their organization. I've never signed up for membership or anything like that, but I follow them pretty closely. And I look at a lot of what they have in regards to offering things to the current legislature. And when I found out that the current sitting senator from my district had added amendments to the original SAPA bill that appeared to make the bill practically worthless, instead of us just saying we're not going to honor any new federal gun laws in the state of Wyoming, any unconstitutional gun laws, we would put it in front of the attorney general and the governor to allow them to decide the constitutionality of it. And my view on the second amendment is shall not be is pretty clear. It's pretty cut and dry. It's hard for anybody to misunderstand those simple words shall not be infringed. And whenever the current administration in Washington is entertaining ideas of limiting the number of rounds of ammo you can own, the number of rounds a magazine can hold, the types of firearms we can use and carry for personal protection and for protecting our homes. It, it kind of upset me and it kind of hurt my heart that a sitter would want to add amendments that would weaken a bill that gives more freedom to the people. And so I decided that I would throw my name in the hat 
and see where it lands. Okay, but you realize the SAPA law that um, actually Senator Larry Hicks was the sponsor of says exactly what you wanted it to say, that any unconstitutional act is now a criminal offense. Right. My understanding of what actually happened is pretty much the original bill without those added amendments was just redrafted and put in front of this House and the Senate and passed. I had already declared my candidacy before the second SAPA bill came into existence. So you're talking about the bill from 2021 then? Correct. The one that was authored originally by Anthony Bouchard. Okay, because the the SAPA law that they passed this time around, it's my opinion that it's actually a pretty good bill. It says exactly what the language that you just described. Any unconstitutional infringement on the Second Amendment is now a criminal act, and it lists out several different things that are prohibited. And then, you know, the penalty on it is a year in jail and or a $1,000 fine. You know, so actually... I mean, I think the bill that we got is is actually a pretty good bill. Okay. All right, so let's talk about some of the other issues here. You mentioned guns, and we just talked about that for a little bit. Should you win your election, uh, what else do you want to focus on? I want to focus on things such as prohibiting sexualization of children. Uh, we have certain laws on the books. I researched one just last night, and I can't remember the bill number or the law number, the statute number, but it made providing children with any kind of sexual material a felony unless it was done in a bona fide school. And I would love to have that removed from the law because I then turned around and looked up what the definition of a bona fide school is, and it's any public institution of education that is funded by tax dollars. So technically, and I use the term technically loosely, technically by law, they can provide novels that have pornographic language and or material in it for our children to read. And in my personal opinion and the opinion of many of my constituents, that in and of itself is criminal, whether or not the law says that it is. Well, it's fascinating. You know, when I uncovered this whole library book business, I asked a lawyer because, you know, the, the books that I researched, uh, they had some pretty horrible stuff in them. And so I was a little concerned about reading passages on my program. And the lawyer that I consulted told me in no uncertain terms should I read that on my program because I would be guilty of dissemination of child pornography on a public broadcast. And the problem is that we allow this crap uh, to be in in libraries, and worse than that, in some towns in the children's section. Correct. And as far as public schools go, I don't even refer to them as public schools anymore. I've got to where I refer to them as public indoctrination camps. Our children, and I don't mean my children and my wife's children, I mean our children as a whole, go to a place that is tax-funded with our tax dollars, and they learn about all the different sexual orientations. They learn about all the made-up genders instead of the only two genders that really do exist. They're learning 
that you can change your gender if you want to on a whim on any given day. And anything at all that my children learn about sex in general should not come from a tax-funded institution indoctrination camp. It should come from me and my wife in the way that we see fit to explain it. To be fair, I've pretty much looked high and low for, you know, evidence beyond the library books that we just talked about. You know, as far as actual material in the classroom, I haven't found that much. However, in the Encampment School Library, which is in, in Carbon County, I did find a copy of probably the one of the most horrible books I've ever looked at. That's the Lawn Boy book that's been all over the... Uh, all over the news and that that I've used several as an example several times during my program. So yeah, I think you've got a, a good point there. As it also relates to education, one of the big problems we have in Wyoming is not a revenue problem. It's a spending problem. In fact, we got so much money we well, we do know how to spend it <laughs> and you know, their theory is spend it all. But the problem is if we don't get a handle on our education spending, it's probably gonna bankrupt the state. So if you're successful in your Senate run, what, what would you focus on to get a handle on all this education spending? So in regards to the spending, I, I don't know that there is an easy fix to it. I know as far as the education department itself goes, I am a huge supporter of vouchers and school choice. If we were to open up the opportunity for vouchers and school choice, I guarantee you these government funded or really let's call them what they truly are taxpayer funded schools would learn real quick how to control their spending. Once they start losing students and they're losing money for not having those students, they're going to figure out how to save their money. Oh, I agree completely with you. Vouchers is the big is the best answer. Yep, I agree. All right, so let's talk about something that is a little bit closer to your current wheelhouse. I think that one of the problems we see in Wyoming is recidivism coming out of our prisons. Since that's something that you have some experience with, what would you suggest we do to reduce recidivism? And I'm specifically talking about drug offenses, because it seems to me that people get popped for dealing methamphetamine, they get out, they get off paper, and then they're right back to doing it again. So obviously, a stint in prison didn't work work too well for them. So in your opinion, what should we do to reduce recidivism in Wyoming? So in regards to recidivism, for the hardcore drug offenders, the meth, heroin, cocaine, fentanyl, carfentanyl, we've got to have stiffer penalties. Uh, whenever it's a felony-level offense, for the hardcore drugs, we've got to make the penalty tougher and we've got to quit giving them so much freedom so quickly. And that, that sounds almost hypocritical coming from the guy that's running with a campaign slogan of give the freedom back to the people, give the power back to the people. But in regards to the the problem that we have and the heroin problem that we have, it, I talk to people all over the state that almost as a badge of honor say, oh, Rock Springs is the methamphetamine capital of Wyoming. And then somebody else comes along, oh, Rollins is the meth capital. Oh, Ribbon is the meth, cap is the meth capital. And a lot of these people that are saying this are ironically enough people that have been popped 
for that very thing. So we've got to have stiffer penalties for the, the heavy amounts of dope. And at the same time, we've got to improve the programming within the prison. We've got to get to where they have more opportunities to learn certain trades. Uh, we have a fantastic welding program at Wyoming State Penitentiary where the inmates that are eligible because of their behavior, uh, their classification status, whatever the case may be, they can go and learn how to become a master welder. That is a trade that is high in demand and has very good pay. And to be honest, when you get out of prison, you don't have a whole lot of jobs that are just trying to scoop you up. You have fast food, construction, the oil field, and trades like welding and carpentry, stuff like that. So teaching them valuable trades where they can make decent money when they get out, good programming, and stiffer penalties for the fence. We'll get back to the interview in just a second. But first, a completely obscene profit timeout. Cowboy State Politics is brought to you by Morton Buildings. If you're in the market for an outbuilding or a garage or a barn or maybe you want a roping arena or perhaps you need a giant warehouse for all of your fun summertime toys, well, then you need to call my friends Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings, 307-674-2532. These two guys are the experts in metal building construction. They've been doing it longer than anybody else around, and they definitely do it better than anybody else around. So it doesn't matter what type of metal building you've been thinking about, give Nick and Jesse a call. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out at their website at mortonbuildings.com. My friends, it's Wednesday, and that means it's Gun of the Week time from Gunrunner Auctions. This week, it's lot number 165. It's one of my favorites, a Remington 7600 30-06 slide-action rifle. It's in excellent condition. It's got a 22-inch barrel. The bore on it is perfect. It's got a fixed front and adjustable rear sights. It's got a Leupold mount and a Bushnell scope chief, 3x9x40. The bluing is 95% with a little bit of muzzle wear and some light scratches and some marks on the left side of the receiver. It's got a checkered wood forearm with black tip and checkered wood stock. It's in great shape. This is a perfect elk hunting weapon. And it can be yours. It's lot number 165 at gunrunnerauctions.com. New episodes of Cowboy State Politics are published every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And also, don't forget about the Thursday live program beginning at 10 a.m. You can find the links to the live program at CowboyStatePolitics.com or at the Facebook page. And now, back to the program. All right, speaking of education, let's talk about the university a little bit. Um, a, a big chunk of you know our state budget goes to both 
K through 12 and to the university. It's like every time I turn around, we're sending them like $70 million or some crazy thing like that. But our university tends to turn out <laughs> liberals. It's, it's almost like a little liberal factory. In fact, if you stack up the U University of Wyoming with some of the other schools in the country, they're not quite at the top, but they're near the top of liberal institutions. So what would you do to get the university back in line with Wyoming values? I'm not 100% sure that it's strictly just the university. My understanding, several people that I've talked to, I've got friends in the Laramie area, and they tell me that Laramie and Jackson Hole are the two top liberal places in the state. And so the fact that the university is in a highly liberal area is a problem in and of itself. Now, I have nothing against Laramie Hole. There's a lot of great people there. There's a lot of great places there. But our state university is in one of the top two most liberal areas to begin with, which means that there's a high propensity of the educators themselves being liberal. And so I guess the best fix for that, you, you can't hire or fire somebody based on their politics when you're funded by tax dollars. And if I'm not mistaken, part of our tax dollars go towards the university. So I guess it would be trying to instill in the students themselves, uh, maybe having people go and speak. People like Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens, inviting them to come and speak. Maybe some of our conservative legislators going to the university and inviting the Ben Shapiro's and the Candace Owens's to go with them and speak at the university. There are some students there that would be willing to hear both sides' arguments. Not every student there would be, even the liberal students, some of the liberal students would still be willing to at least hear out the conservative speakers and maybe sway them to the Wyoming way. Next question. Have you always been a member of the Constitutional Party or... Or were you once a Republican and switched parties? Talk to me a little bit about that. So I actually was a Republican for almost my entire adult life. I just joined the Constitution Party within the last few months. And part of it is because I finally saw that I didn't agree with a duopoly. I don't feel like our framers wanted a duopoly. They didn't even want parties to begin with from everything that I've read. And a lot of members of the Republican Party, maybe not legislators per se, maybe not committee members, but people that are card-carrying Republicans, that are lifelong card-carrying Republicans, have said that, you know, I have nothing against abortion. I have nothing against this. I have nothing against that. And to me, they're speaking almost as either a libertarian or a liberal Democrat whenever some of the things that Republicans in general have always stood for, they stand against. And so I decided to break from the Republican Party, mostly based on that. And uh, I have a very good friend that's a member of the Constitution Party, has been for years, and I got to looking into them. And I realized that their values align more with mine than the Republican Party did. Well, you haven't been hanging out with the Republicans that I know. 
you know, there's the added benefit of, you know, being in the Constitution <laughs> Party. You know, you uh, you don't have to go through the primary, right? I mean, that's that's one added benefit. Right, right. All right, so let's talk about some other issues. Just kind of like real quick, where do you stand on life? Life begins at conception and it ends at death. What are your thoughts on the court stopping our abortion trigger law? I... I feel like we have been robbed if if they decide they're going to stop our trigger law. They're telling us we can't do this whenever the Supreme Court of the United States already granted the right back to the state to choose. I feel like at the very least, and this is possibly a stretch, I think the very least it should be a ballot initiative. Let the voters of Wyoming vote on it. Let us as everyday voters decide. Other than that, the trigger law should have stayed in place. We should have been able to ban abortion. The only times that I consider abortion acceptable at all, and most of your pro-life groups don't even consider it abortion, is it's to save the life of the mother or if, say, going into the third trimester, the child dies in utero, they don't find out in time to save the child, and now there's a guarantee of a stillborn baby make your mother continue carrying. Other than that, uh, I, I'm against abortion completely. I don't even like the term pro-life, David. I, I think most people that say that they're pro-life don't realize how hypocritical the term itself is because most of them support war when it's necessary, which war is a necessary evil. And most of them support capital punishment. I, I don't say I'm pro-life, I say I'm anti-abortion because I support capital punishment in the most egregious of offenses. And if war comes to us as Americans and we have to defend our homeland, I support war. Like Life begins at conception and it ends at natural death, period. In my world, right. you know, all human life is sacred. You know, We should just call abortion what it is, and that's killing babies. And, you know, I don't think we need to go, go too far beyond that. So is there, are there any other issues that you're focused on in your race or other than the ones that we mentioned? I want to start holding cities accountable. I believe that we have a huge problem in this country at the top. But the only way to fix the problem that you have is to start at home. And I believe that the state legislature needs to start holding cities accountable whenever cities are using their level of government for government overreach. We've got to call them to task. We've got to start making them toe the line. They are elected officials. And I, you know, I, I'm running on the premise of give the power back to the people. And I called out by some members of the Republican Party that, well, it's written in the state constitution that the power is inherent in the people. They already have the power. So I, in turn, started asking constituents in my district, do you feel empowered? And every single one of them has said no. I said, do you feel like you have any power at all in the state? And they have, again, said no. Then I asked them if they think they should have power, and they said yes. So whether or not the constitution says that the power is inherent in the people the people don't feel empowered and it that's one of the focuses in my race is i want the people to feel like 
they have a say. I think instead of us creating new laws, we need to have more ballot initiatives. You know, more ballot initiatives, I mean, I think are, I think are fine. In, when we talk about taxes, the easiest way to kill a tax is to put it up for a referendum, right? Because most people don't want to pay more in taxes. And so I'm okay with that. But wouldn't you agree that in Wyoming, you know, we're, we're unique in the sense that it's pretty, it's pretty easy to get a hold of your state legislator. And, you know, I mean, if, uh, if you need to talk to them, I mean, all their cell, almost all their cell phone numbers are on the website. So, you know, just to fence with you a little bit, Wyoming, of all places, our elected officials and our government are more accessible. So I guess I would ask you to give me a couple of examples to illustrate what you mean by giving power back to the people. So let's take medical marijuana as a prime example. I, I am not a supporter of recreational marijuana per se, but I think that medical marijuana should be a ballot initiative. I think that people that have a qualifying medical condition have the option of using medical marijuana in lieu of traditional pharmaceuticals. They have so many adverse side effects. Now, the question then would become, well, who gets to determine what a qualifying condition is? So, for instance, in all of the states that originally had only passed medical marijuana, I myself had a qualifying condition. Now, I would not have used it. And today, if we passed medical marijuana today because of my primary occupation, I would still not use it because I've got a very good paying job with amazing benefits that I cannot afford to lose. But the guy down the road that's living on a fixed income that's got stage four cancer, if he should so desire to have medical marijuana instead of chemo and radiation, which kills cells left and right, not just the bad cells, but the good cells also. Uh, the only reason I know that is because my mother is a retired oncology nurse. But they should have, in my opinion, the option of something else. And that should be something that's decided by the people. If the people as a whole decide, no, we don't want medical marijuana in Wyoming, then it doesn't pass, but it didn't pass because the people didn't want it. I see what you're saying. And, you know, we, we may have that on the ballot in 2024. Who knows? Let me just ask you a question about that. So if we set all of the all of the medical benefits aside, I mean, because I don't, I mean, we could have that debate. Uh, but my question is, it's going to require a giant bureaucracy to to monitor who gets medical marijuana to make sure they don't have enough to make sure they're not giving it to their kids i mean i think you're talking about something that that's going to dwarf even like the wyoming liquor commission i mean isn't isn't growing government you know more of a harm in in that situation because we're talking about a huge expense of state funds and a huge increase in the amount of government i mean don't you see that as a problem I think there are probably ways that you could do it without increasing government because I am absolutely not a fan of big government at all. I, I know that occasionally, because I take a prescription pain pill, occasionally when I go to the doctor, I'm asked to give them a urine sample 
so that they can make sure that I have an appropriate amount in my system, that I don't have too much and that I don't have too little. Having too much means I'm abusing. Having too little is an indicator that I'm selling or providing it to somebody else. And if you did it in such a way where the medical board is the ones who got to decide what a qualifying condition was and the doctors treated it as a schedule three, like the opiates that are perfectly legal, where occasionally every so often you have to go pee in a cup to show them that you don't have too much and you don't have too little. Granted, a lot of people that are on opiates have it completely controlled to where they take it as needed. A lot of other people have been on it for so long that they're highly addicted and they can't get off of it. It would be medically harmful for them to stop taking it. No, I think I think that's a valid debate to have. I mean, certainly some of the opiates that we prescribe, I mean, look at OxyContin. Look what it did to some Appalachian towns. I mean, uh, you know, there, there are, on Tucker Carlson the other night, he did a report how there are millions of people that, or excuse, probably not millions, hundreds of thousands of people who have died, you know, just because of prescription drug use um, that, like you say, are totally legal. And I think that that's, you know, that's a valid debate to have. Uh, one more question on this, and then I'll, I'll leave you alone on the, on the medical marijuana. A lot of states that have passed <laughs> medical marijuana, the very next thing that they do is they pass recreational marijuana. Don't you worry that passing a medical marijuana um, initiative or law, aren't you worried that that's going to lead to full-blown recreational mar marijuana? I think that it could. Uh and if it did, what I would recommend is that it be highly regulated and taxed. As much as I'm against taxes, if you tax certain things like, for instance, the vices, tax the vices that a lot of people consider to be part of the scourge of society, make the penalties for abusing whatever it is so steep that nobody wants to mess up. I mentioned earlier steeper penalties for methamphetamine users. If you put the proper regulations on recreational and then you make the penalties for violating those regulations so steep that nobody really wants to chance it, you're still going to have some people that are going to violate it. It's just like gun laws. The, the biggest reason that people like you and me are against gun laws is what, David? Because criminals don't obey the law. So even if we legalize recreational marijuana and we say you have to be 30 years old to purchase it, 30 years old to buy it or sell it. You can only have one gram at a time. Some 29-year-old out there is going to go buy 10 pounds of it and start selling it out of his back door. No, I get it. If people want to get a hold of you, Michael, how can they do that? Do you have a website or a email address? What do you got? <clears throat> I have my cell phone number. And my email address, and all I have for internet contact is my Facebook page, uh, Michael Ray Williams for Wyoming Senate District 11. And right here, I don't know if your listeners are going to be able to see it, but if it's posted online, that is my business card. My email address is Michael Ray Williams for Senate at gmail.com. My cell phone is 307 321. Six seven four seven. Appreciate you taking the time and good luck. Thanks, David. I appreciate you having me. 
That'll do it for today's installment of the program. Remember, don't forget about the live show coming tomorrow at 10 a.m. The links are at the website or at the Facebook page. But for now, have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk again tomorrow. From the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is Cowboy State Politics.